This is Security All In. This is Sam Curry. I'm Chief Security Officer at Cyber Reason. And here on Security All In, we try to interview people from all around security and see at what moment did they go all in on security or the reverse? When did security go all in on them? We sometimes talk about risk as a theme in security. It's a common one. And uh, I try to wrap in a little bit of poker sometime or gaming in general and see how do people see playing the great game of security. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. Anton Chivak. And Anton, welcome to Security All In. Thank you very much. And I have to admit, I'm not that much of a poker player. I know the rules and I know how to move the pieces. Oh, sorry, that's chess. <laughs> that's chess. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise uh, yes, I'm not an expert in poker. Sorry for that. No, that's quite all right. In fact, uh, we welcome people playing poker if we do get together at some point who are novices. Uh, yeah, always welcome sure. on the table. But um, at all. we'll probably avoid that on today's podcast, I think. We'll probably talk more about risk and stuff. But you and I have known each other, I don't even know, uh, for quite a few years. You've been a... Uh, an analyst, among other things, at Gartner for a while, and, and me on the vendor side talking to you over the years. You recently moved over to Chronicle, right, acquired by Google. Do you remember when we first spoke? Because uh, I'm hard-pressed to pick when that might have been. You know, I suspect, uh, I, and I wouldn't hold it against you, uh, that it happened when you were at RSA. That's my suspicion. And uh, yeah. I think I had some fair number of colleagues uh, who worked there, and I've interacted with them, and I think that's when we connected for the first time. But uh, again, I would say that was the good old times as far as RSA is concerned. Oh, yeah. So that would have been, uh, shall we say, several generations of ownership ago. Uh, <laughs> it was true. probably a safe way to do it. And uh, we probably interacted around SIM to begin with, I think. Uh, I don't think it was when I was at CA. When I was at Computer Associates, I was involved in some of the early Yeah, no, no, no. If you would say you are from CA, I would just not talk to you. There's no, Yeah, and you'd be right. You'd be right, too. Uh, and we can say that now, I think. Uh, now, for um, sure. You know, that was something I noticed going from CA to RSA, the, the notion of brand forgiveness. At CA, we had a lot of great products and services, but everyone was like, we'll believe it when you're huge. But RSA was, yeah, really? You're going to do that? RSA just seemed like a more security person's brand in those yes, days. Yes, correct. For sure. So how long have you been at uh, Chronicle now at, uh, at Google? So the fun part is I joined in June. Mm -hmm. But very soon thereafter, I learned that uh, even though I joined Chronicle, I would work for Google because we had been acquired. So that's, oh, so you, uh, you you joined one on paper, and then when you actually turned up, it was another. That wasn't that quick, but it was. I think uh, I don't recall the exact timing, but I think it was two or three weeks after I joined. I, I showed up for work, and in two weeks or so, we had the announcement. So, if we can, I'd like to go into the period of time before I knew you, and I don't know what we'll uncover. I'd like to understand you when you started out in security or even maybe before that. Now, I hope I'm not being presumptuous. I think you're Russian by birth. Is that right? Yes, correct. That's exactly right. So when did you first start doing security? Was it in Russia or was it after you came to the U.S.? And when did that happen? When did that shift happen either you know, being exposed to security and or coming here to America? You know what? Well, nowadays, when offense gets all this you know, coolness factor, I just want to try to derive my lineage from the ancient security hackers and from Russia, but unfortunately, that's just not the case. <laughs> I, I was kind I, of I, alluding I, to that. It would, it would have been I, a nice I, story. I, but, yeah. I don't want to kind of, while I may want to try to build up a fake legacy and all that, but unfortunately, I did start as a defender in the US. I did not do any hacking or had any interest in security while in Russia. I was actually very fond of physics, and I didn't really think about any other careers. However, when you are in the U.S. and you do physics, you deal a lot with computers. 
And yeah. time, we're talking about the 90s computers, namely Linux machines, got hacked uh, like all the time. Uh, wait mm -hmm. a second, that's also today, but doesn't matter. So the point nothing's is, changed there, yeah. Everything changed, but computers still get hacked. Computers still get hacked all the time. So I had to sort of do my computing, but also deal with the fact that computers would sometimes have users who aren't us and who do strange things. And so my learning really started from trying to defend those servers, initially a few that I used for physics and later some that uh, my friends used. So I kind of started doing security by, by trying to do Linux security as an admin. Uh, that's way less glamorous than <laughs> or something, but unfortunately, that's also the truth. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And, and by the way, that must, this must be one of the reasons we get along. Uh, uh, one of my degrees was in physics, and I had a passion for it. And I, of course, came to America as well, but from Canada, another. Uh, so same sort of latitudes, I'm sure, but uh, very different uh, culturally. But um, so you were trying to harden these Linux systems because... Uh, uh, harden, this actually, no, actively, long term? hardening wouldn't harden, yes, but not just that, because we had people who would get in despite hardening because um, things like buffer overflows and patches and all that stuff mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. was very much a novelty back in the day. And so we would sometimes harden the systems and we'll still we still have them hacked. So uh, harden and occasionally just like actively go in the machine, kick people out, change configurations on the fly and kind of like do the whole kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat of sorts. Skirmishing. Yeah, this is, this, this is skirmishing. Yeah. But it was the fact that it was very hard to make, it's impossible to make anything unhackable, but it was also really hard to make mid-1990s Linux unhackable, especially if it's being used by academics. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know, extra bonus points for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Just to paint the picture, where did you do, was this grad studies you were doing? Uh, that's during grad school, correct, in uh, Stony Brook. Oh, Stony, Stony Brook. I, this is even stranger. Uh, I mentioned Computer Associates earlier. I, I actually lived about 100 yards from the campus in Stony Brook, New York, on Stony Road Extension in the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> that is quite surreal indeed. Yeah, I, I've, I haven't driven all that often past CA offices, and at the time I didn't really know what CA stands for all that much, but, but I know where the Islandia campus for CA yeah. was. Sort of like it was uh, like maybe 20 minutes from there because uh, yep. yep. it was always yep. back roads and what have you. I have to ask, were you always this proficient in English? Um, oh, and Russian, uh, I think it's your first language, but you've, you've always been, you've had the facility of somebody for whom English is a mother tongue. Was this true then when you came over? Actually, sort of, because, so like I was saving this bit uh, for later when you'd ask, start asking hard questions, but now I was actually born in Siberia. So this is when people oh, wow. sometimes... Uh, tell me, hey, Anton, tell us one fun fact about you. I usually go for this. If I want to go safe, I would use this one, and I'll share the risky one later. So the safe one is, uh, yes, I was born in Siberia, and in, our, in my hometown in Siberia, there was exactly one school that actually taught English from first grade. And it's wow. kind of a normal thing in Soviet Union that, at the time it was Soviet Union, you would have a small number of schools that teach foreign languages kind of, I wouldn't say immersively, but basically they kind of overwhelm you with foreign language because we had like three classes, maybe more, maybe five classes a week from the first grade all the way to 10th. So I went to one of those schools. So right. I was exposed to English since I was six. This isn't the Spetsnaz type, type immersion. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, but it's, it's, it's sort of a special because special language school. I'm not right. sure... 
there is any kind of deeper geopolitical um, meaning for that. But the uh, Soviet Union was kind of fond of English. Yeah. Did you choose English or uh, you didn't, or did you have a choice with, was it, was it, hey, go do French, um, go do German? I think my parents picked for me. I actually don't know. I think the English was just more, there's a lot more English than German and French, even though they were German and French at the same school, but English was sort of like the main thing. So that's why I ended up in an English track. Yeah. And so then you, so you came over from Siberia to uh, Stony Brook, New York. Which and actually, is it, no, uh, that's through Moscow. I, my undergrad was in Moscow. Uh, Okay, so you did have you went from you did go metropolis to suburb of New York pretty readily, but yeah. it was at this point that you really were just exposed to security when you were you know trying to get into the skirmishes and defend these Linux boxes, or did the bug get you later? Was this just first exposure, or were you like, man, this is this is the thing? I mean, I dealt with computers. I mean, I programmed a little for my academic, for my for my undergraduate things, undergraduate course in Russia. So I did deal with computers, but I didn't have a chance to be interested in defending them from attacks or have anything to do with that in, in, in Russia. So I think it was sort of mid, in the middle of the program in the U.S. And at this point, it started there, but then I started taking computer science classes and then I figured maybe I should get a second degree in computer science. Uh, there wasn't any computer security classes at the time. So it kind of started in the middle of my physics program, just because it so happened that I became more interested in computers than in things I computed for physics. And I have to ask, because I, I referenced you as Dr. Chivakin earlier, is the doctorate in physics or physics, is it in... Yes. Yeah, physics. No, okay. I never quite made it to the CS degree. My physics professor objected. <laughs> and I was like, on principle, he should, right? Uh, well, I've taken some classes and I made some claims that they're useful for my physics education and some, sure. but uh, the, yeah, the hopeful degree wouldn't be. So I would, I ended up so with you, physics. You finished your, your physics degree. Mm-hmm. And so what came next in, in the story of Anton? What was the next chapter there? So I pretty much knew that I would be looking for a job doing information security in some shape or form. So because my, all my back, all my experience were kind of informal, defending those Linux boxes that was helping some people. And I think I've written something, which was, as it turns out later, a bit of a stroke of genius. I've written some online guides on how to secure certain types of Linux machines, and they became Linux how-tos later on. Oh, yeah. So the thing is that I knew that I would be working in computer security. I did not look for a physics job at all. Now, I was based on the East Coast at the time, so I started looking for vendors, enterprise security positions, anything, literally anything with security in the title I would have taken. And Mm -hmm. I ended up with the first job that probably ended up setting me on a particular course um, as far as my career is concerned. I ended up with a job at what at the time was called securitywatch.com. And this is like, we're talking about 2000, 2000 actually. No, no 2001, sorry. And it, I kind of became a researcher, uh, but not in the, in the current sense, researcher meaning like a fancy researcher, but more like kind of almost like a research analyst writing about different technologies for this portal. So this is my first... Was, was, this, was this like a content portal where you were... Yes, you were... it was like a content portal, correct. It was basically, uh, at the time, securityfocus.com was kind of a big deal and some other vendors, some other companies wanted to replicate their success. So we were literally a competitor to securityfocus.com. And was this in like early 2000 time frame? Early 2000, correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we might have interacted as early as that. I remember talking to securityfocus.com when I was the chief security architect at McAfee, mm-hmm. which was uh, 99 to 2002-ish time frame. So 
I'd have to go and do a Google search on your name and my name in that time frame to figure it out. But so you did this security research, which was almost like an analyst position. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. As I would say it now. Yeah, I would go it now. Yes. And so when did the Gartner thing happen? How did, how oh, did that strike later. you? The story goes like this. I've taken a couple of vendor jobs after my first job. Uh, actually, not a couple, three, three vendor jobs. And after my last vendor job, I kind of got a little bit tired of the vendor land. So I ended up being doing consulting. And consulting was, uh, well, independent consulting. Kind of some of it was focused on helping end users with, uh, with SIM, with other security monitoring technologies. Uh, some of them were, some of the projects were helping vendors. And there was some writing involved. So all in all, I kind of was doing that and thinking, hey, what should I do with my life afterwards? I just wasn't super excited about joining another vendor. And then somebody said, Anton, you're practically already an analyst. Why don't you join an analyst firm? <laughs> and I tried joining an analyst firm, but it was kind of a downturn in economy and nobody really was hiring. Mm. So I stayed doing consulting for ultimately about two years. And then some of the people I've spoken with in, in, the, in the beginning who worked at Burton Group reached out to me and said, Anton, we just got acquired by Gartner, but we are hiring, so why don't you join us? And here's the funny one, and I think that I, I would actually give you a more politically correct version of the truth. I basically told them, what, Gartner? That's like a big company. I hate big companies. I don't want to <laughs> So when you were Burton, I really wanted to join with you guys, and now that you're Gartner, I don't anymore. That's funny. And they told me, actually, um, the culture is pretty much the same and the team is the same and things are staying the same. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I believe you. No. But my wife told me, hey, why don't you interview? And uh, if you don't like it, you say no. So I interviewed and I ended up liking it a lot, liking the team, liking the type of work. And they did tell me that the it isn't really the big company bureaucratic culture. It's a lot more working in small groups or frankly, working alone if you feel like. So I ended up signing up. So now you've mentioned, you've mentioned family. You said your wife, you know, my wife's always interested in what I do, but she doesn't really, she's not a security person. Is your wife a security person? Uh, no, is she somebody? Not. No. And my six-year-old daughter, uh, word came back from school that I was a police officer and somebody called oh. for help. And because my daughter had been told that I arrest bad guys online, bad guys. Oh, which wow. had turned into dad's a police officer through the telephone game. Is your wife tolerant of the hours and the nature of the work, or is she not exposed to it much at all? Um, no, no, no. We talk a lot, and uh, she actually has given me advice in more than a few times. So I would say that the thing is that she is an economist, and uh, ah. security, a lot of security failures Highly are relevant. very yeah. connected to economics. And so, frankly, it may go game theory, it may go just like incentives, it may go in many other directions. And so... Or just like general analytics, analytical approaches from that field. So I would say that, uh, yes, she's, she's been kind of involved because of that. Yeah, that's almost an unfair advantage when at home you have an economist or somebody, somebody who understands economics. Because ultimately, this is human versus human conflict for all the, the technical trappings. And we often lose sight of that when we drill into the bits and the bytes. Hey, let me ask a, a slightly different series mm -hmm. of questions here. Do you have any outside of work passions or hobbies that you feel get you into the right headspace or give you a better feel for the security job itself? And I, I ask this specifically because I know that in my case, the more I bring my true self to work, the more it's fun and the more people seem to connect with it. Do you have any outside of the office hobbies or passions that you bring to the security game? Hmm. That helped me with the security game. Yeah, that's... So... Yes, sort of. So they, apart from having uh, some economics advice at home, I can say that in my undergraduate years uh, back in Russia, 
I was actually quite fond of psychology as a field. Ah. And so I may well still use, consider it a hobby. I read a lot. I probably is, you know, not very plugged in into the scene, but at least I try to follow what's going on in that area. So I think that maybe that's one hobby that I would consider to be advantageous for security, that I am sort of, I shouldn't say amateur psychologist because I'm not a psychologist, but I'm kind of a person with a hobby of psychology. Pop psychology and stuff. Uh, uh, well, that, that's, that's perhaps trivializing it a bit not, too much. But. No, not pop psychology, no. I mean, more, psychology more, clinical, psychology. more clinical psychology rather than pop. And you mentioned reading in general. Is, is it all psychology? Do you have other reading interests? And have they had an influence on security at all for you? I think sci-fi have influenced pretty much every security professional professional worth knowing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, abs- maybe, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe that's too presumptuous. But uh, uh, I was just buying, I actually just before this call, I was uh, considering with the, with the finally buy this last book by Neil Stevenson. And I did buy it. So I'm kind of oh, upset. Oh, the most recent about, one? Yes, correct. So I've heard the mixed reviews from friends. So Which I, one is that? I, the last one I read by him, I reread uh, Snow Crash. Seven Eves I really like too. Uh, yeah, Seven Eves basically destroyed my about three days of my life because I <laughs> basically like came back from work on Wednesday and then like next time I woke up on Monday. <laughs> because yeah, I, was- I, I did almost the same thing and, and no spoilers for people, but I got two thirds of the way through and it becomes a different book in the last third. It will become, it become a different book. But, it but leaps so far into the future, but uh, I really want to avoid spoilers. But for me, yeah. I was able to put it down, get a night's sleep, and then I picked it up and, and did it again. But uh, what's the most recent one? So it's called Fall or Dodge in Hell. And it's uh, oh. 2019. So it came, up, came out recently. And I, again, I bought my copy today. So we'll start reading it uh, probably later this week. I have some more sci-fi to finish before I do that. So I do read both US sci-fi and, and I read some Russian sci-fi. So I think that from the traditional, more traditional space and fantasy and uh, sort of like a cyberpunk type sci-fi, I'm just a fan. So I think it does help. It probably does help somehow. I don't know. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Do you read the Russian in Russian or do you read the translations of it now? I read Russian sci-fi in Russian because some Russian sci-fi hasn't been translated into English. And so there's no real need to... Yeah, I would read it in Russian. Funny enough, um, I think I saw a copy of, I think it was Snow Crash in Russian, and I don't think I would read Snow Crash in Russian, even though, I mean, it has lots of fans in Russia. Well, the main character's name is Hero Protagonist. I have no idea. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are very hard to make in there. I actually don't recall what they've done. Uh, the what, hero pun is, is a weird Japanese-English one. I don't know what it would sound like in Russian. Yeah, uh, that's actually now that you, you kind of make me look it up and figure it out. <laughs> now I, I am curious myself, yeah. Um, and actually, the right. no-crash term is hard to translate in the same way. Actually, that reminds me, uh, in my Gartner days, I've presented in Moscow a few times uh, on security business, and I realized I didn't know any security terminology in Russian at all. And so I had to go ask the translator, hey, you know, what's this term? And he gives me a copy of an English word. And I say, what's this other term? And he gives me a copy of an English term. And I'm like, what the hell? I can speak English and you guys would get it. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have the same problem in French, but it's debilitating because where I grew up in Quebec, mm-hmm. you simply couldn't take the English word and put it into French. That was highly frowned on. So we don't say le weekend. We say la fin de semaine or la fin de semaine, right? And mm-hmm. 
so I go to speak in French and I literally go, I'm, I'm about to commit an, uh, if it sounds like a crime and an obviously an Englishism where you, you basically insert the English word. Now in France, they're fine with it. But if I turn up to do a presentation in France, I can't do it, even though I'm fluent. I can't do it in French because I don't have the business and the technical vocabulary. Okay, so what's fireable in French? It wouldn't be a copy of an English word. It's a, it's a garde barrière, is technically. But in France, they say firewall. Yes, exactly. So there is a word in Russian that's for, stands for firewall that's supposed to be a more Russian roots, even though it's really German. But they all use the word firewall, just sound like firewall. Russian. Right. And, and so everyone in the audience, so like I, I use, instead of saying electric, uh, email, yeah. which they all say in France, I'll say missive électronique, which sounds like a weird missive from the Middle Ages. <laughs> right. Yes, so right. Uh, it's, it's painful. So I just do the presentations in English and default to that. And then I do the meetings in, in French and, and the socializing. But uh, no, I, I can absolutely relate. Anton, we don't have that much time left. I've only got a few more questions. Sure. I think we got to where you went all in on security. And, and it's an interesting path. Because it, it's not walking like, like many of the paths I think uh, many people have taken in security and that you've seen and done so much. So imagine either talking to a, a young Anton years ago, who, whatever he's like today or she's like out there, mm-hmm. or somebody who's thinking about getting into security. What advice do you have for that person given your path through security? What would you imagine however you want and you get a few minutes to say a few words and they're eagerly going to lap them up? What would you say? You know... I wish my advice would be kind of original in the sense that it would be something like a path previously untrodden, but I don't think that's the case because uh, back in the ultimately very late 90s, early 2000s, dealing with what at the time was called system administration, I guess, was still pretty one of the best paths to end up in security. Again, I was right. sort of managing those Linux servers and ultimately had to defend them. I had to know what's going on. I had to know uh, networking. I had to know Unix Linux systems. I have to know things of that sort before I can learn security. So to me, the, this probably a more traditional, uh, you know, blue team slash defense path through system administration. I guess I've met people who went to security through hacking, through offensive side, through pen testing. But to me, the defender path probably starts somewhere in the uh, administering systems and ultimately caring how they're secured. Today, it may be containers. It may be that you're, you know, deal with Kubernetes and Docker and all the modern stuff and not necessarily, hey, what, wait a second, that's also Linux. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you, you would end up being a Linux uh, admin and then you do security. To me, I fear a lot of, security professionals who don't have the systems background. I, I mean, you know, there's this whole book called Security De-Engineering, which mm-hmm. talks about how things are really got screwed up in our realm, in our realm of security, because a lot of people came to security bypassing this type of technical foundations, systems, networking. I mean, they cannot friggin' spell TCP IP, but they want to say, hey, this is what you should do for PCI compliance, but they don't really understand what's actually right. being done to the systems. So to me, I would still say systems first, security second. It's, yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's my No, I, I, I'm going to riff on that for a second. Uh, in, on the computer science side, we used to have something we called leaky abstraction. And that was that not understanding the abstraction layer created by programmers, and they don't know what happens underneath the hood, can lead to terrible abuses and mistakes. And a classic example is if you look at a car, the steering wheel, the pedals, and the, the gear shift 
Mm-hmm. That's the interface. If you don't know how an engine works at 60 miles an hour, you might be tempted to slam it into reverse in order to stop the car. Uh, this is probably not a good thing for your gearbox, right? Yeah. Um, and on one hand, I don't want to sound like a cantankerous old man when I say go learn the basics, but there's something to be said for when defenders, before the tools got as advanced as they have, or the processes or, or whatnot, there's something to be said for the, the folks that won in cyber conflict on defense were the ones that were tenacious and dug in and rolled up their sleeves, not because they were learning a curriculum or against the person next to them, but because they were mm-hmm. fundamentally curious. So I love your advice, right? It's the path less taken, right? It's the yeah, And I think it's probably, uh, to, to, sorry for interrupting, I would say that mm. we do talk in theory about defender's advantage, where you kind of know the terrain and the attacker shows up at your terrain. But you know what? The defender advantage is about knowing the systems better than the attacker. Today, in many cases, and I am afraid to say in most cases, but for God's sakes, maybe it's the most cases, actually attacker comes with more knowledge. I mean, um, yeah. and the defenders may know policy, but they don't know the systems. And to me, this is that's scary. I'm sorry. I'm scared of that because if you're supposed to have defenders advantage because you know the terrain and you don't, like you probably saw all these jokes on Twitter about how if you see an attacker on your network and he's doing the asset discovery, you kind of say, oh my God, somebody's doing asset discovery. <laughs> Can I get a copy? <laughs> I mean, there's awesome. jokes of sort on Twitter, but they all come from sort of from real life. Yeah. <laughs> because we, I do see people. I mean, many times, many times in the past, when I dealt with PCI compliance, I've seen people attackers who would steal card data from what is considered to be out of scope by the defenders. So the attacker right. knew that certain systems not in scope for PCI have card data, which is of course a PCI violation. But the defenders either didn't know or didn't care. I mean, not, I can rant about this for years, but the point is that we need to have <laughs> advantages, defenders. We should know our systems because, hey, these are our systems, right? Yeah, and we should be leery of anything that is automated or serves things up on a platter because anything that's predictable in that, in that vein is something that is exploitable by a bad guy. So if they know that you only pay attention to certain kinds of events and you only look at things through a certain lens, they will find ways around it. But... Uh, I will ask you one last question, though, Anton, which is, in the event that I do a, uh, a poker game for those who've been on this podcast, would you be up for joining us and, and having a game with other security professionals? Mm, I'll, give you, I'll give you a week, maybe. <laughs> a week, maybe. That's fine. Yeah, you did maybe. disavow. I would, yeah, no, I, yeah. I wouldn't disavow it, but I would give you like a very tentative maybe for this. I've played poker. I didn't really... Yeah, kind of. I wouldn't say not enjoyed it, but it, I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, I'm not a huge fan. So, is chess more your game, uh, especially I, given the, the importance in Russia? Not recently. I've played when I was uh, younger, of course, because you're almost supposed to. But um, not uh, maybe. I probably would play chess rather than poker, but I'm still not a fan of chess either. <laughs> I'll tell you what. If we if I call a poker game, I'll make sure there's a couple of chess boards there. Perfect. Anton, thank you for being on. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you.